Why didn't you tell me? You told me Vader betrayed and murdered my father. Your father was seduced by the dark side of the Force. He ceased to be Anakin Skywalker and became Darth Vader. When that happened, the good man who was your father was destroyed. So what I told you was true, from a certain point of view. A certain point of view? Hello and welcome to episode 37 of Force Time. My name is Travis and today I have a special guest with me, Jackson from Plo Koon's Book Club on Instagram. Jackson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Can't wait to talk about Empire Strikes Back from a certain point of view. I'm very excited too. This is part five of my five-part series covering every story in this book. So we've made it, made it to the finish line. I'm very excited to talk about these eight stories. For those of you unfamiliar with the book, it is a collection of short stories told from different characters' points of view throughout Empire, including the Wampa, the Emperor, and even the cave on Dagobah. The first From a Certain Point of View book was released a couple years ago, celebrating the 40th anniversary of A New Hope, and it was so cool that we got another one this year celebrating Empire's 40th. And I'm really, especially after finishing this, really looking forward to the return of the Jedi one in a couple years as well. But before we dig into the book, today's guest, Jackson, runs the Instagram account Plo Koon's Book Club, where he posts book reviews, book photos with Star Wars art and collectibles, and discusses the link between books, comics, and the current happenings of Star Wars overall. So before we get into this book, I would like to ask Jackson, what is your Star Wars story? Okay, so I was about four, four or five when the special editions were coming back out. So like I was the perfect age of when the special editions came out. It was like, you know, you go to Taco Bell, there's Star Wars stuff everywhere. You go to Pizza Hut, there's Star Wars stuff everywhere. So like the first time, I'm not sure if there was the first time I ever saw Star Wars. Like, I don't, like, vividly remember the first time I saw Star Wars, but I remember the first time I went to a dollar movie theater with my dad and saw Empire Strikes Back. And the scene that I remember vividly was Luke using the Force in, like, the Wampa Cave, where he's trying, where he's reaching out and he's trying to get the lightsaber. And I, like, asked my dad, I'm like, what is he doing? Like, this guy can't reach it. (laughs) And then he's like, he's using the Force. And I was like, well, what's the force? And it was like, watch the movie. <laughs> so yeah. that's like all I remember from my first like theatrical experience with it. But, you know, from then on, uh, I was always wanting to rent Star Wars movies and I was really hyped for the prequels, you know, especially, especially episode one, collected all the Pepsi cans, all the Mountain Dew cans with all the different characters on it and stuff. So I was, I was all the way in. So, and then like after... Revenge of the Sith came out at that point I was like 13 and I was just kind of like transitioning out of Star Wars and since there was no more movies I didn't really like I knew they weren't gonna make any more movies so I was like well this is kind of done and I just kind of like transitioned out of that phase I remember when the Clone Wars came out I was like 16 and my younger brother wanted to go see it in theaters and I'm like I don't want to go see it like that's a kid's movie you know like it's like animated like that's dumb Anakin can't have a Padawan so I just kind of like, kind of like, I always loved Star Wars and I would like, you know, rewatch it and stuff, but I was kind of like not really thinking about it. And then like, you know, when a Disney purchase happened, I was like, okay, cool. And then I saw The Force Awakens. Like I wasn't like 
you know, I saw it the first day, so I was hyped enough to see it the first day, but I wasn't like, I wasn't analyzing every trailer. Like I didn't know everybody's name or anything like that. Like I didn't even know Adam Driver was in the movie. So when Kylo Ren took off his mask, I was like, whoa, that's not, that's not who I was expecting. Cause I was like, really, I was really out of it. So, um, but anyways, like I liked Force Awakens, saw it a couple times in theater. It was cool. And then like Rogue One came out and I saw that a couple times in theater. Well, I saw that like four times in theater. So I, I really liked it. And then when The Last Jedi came out, that's when I was like, really got back into it. Cause I was like, this is like, cause by that point I was already out of college and I was like, I was an English minor. So I, you know, we read a bunch of stuff and, you know, a bunch of literature and stuff like that. And then The Last Jedi kind of like got me thinking about how that, like, it's like a modern myth and how it relates to all these older classic works and stuff like that. And then that kind of got me back into it. And then from there, I got into Clone Wars. I watched like all the Clone Wars and I got into Rebels and I got into the books. And then that's kind of where I am today. But, you know, I was kind of out of it for like 10-ish years. So, but I'm back in it like I was when I was six or seven. So that was a long answer, but. No, that was good. That was good. It's a very, very similar to to mine as well. Like the 90s, the special editions and the prequels, like the marketing and everything. It's just full of nostalgia now, especially for like people kind of are in our generation just to think about that. And then I was the same way. I was the same way with The Last Jedi. Like after that, I was I was in. I'm wearing my Last Jedi shirt right now. Like, yeah, if you had asked me five, six years ago, if I would ever have a Star Wars podcast, I was like, no, like what's a podcast, you know, even, but no, yeah, yeah, exactly. And now I am, I am that nerd. So yeah, no, it's a, that's a, that's a great story. Very, very similar. I can, I can definitely relate. You you came to the right place uh, with, with that story for sure. So yeah, (laughs) perfect. Well, let's go ahead and get started. So here's how it's going to work. We're focusing on the final eight stories of From a Certain Point of View, The Empire Strikes Back. We'll introduce each story and each author, give our overall reactions, and then we'll discuss on a one to 10 scale how differently we might view Empire or how much we might think about these stories when we watch Empire. And just I've thrown it out there on every single one of these episodes that that's not the point of these stories is to see things like super differently. And like, if we rate something at two, that might not mean we don't like it. It's just kind of a random arbitrary fact to look at and just a fun, fun way to kind of view these stories. And a lot of these uh, will probably be on the higher scale, probably a lot will be on the lower scale, but it's a, it's a fun way to look at it for sure. So let's go ahead and get to the first story. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. Okay, so our first story is Faith in an Old Friend by Brittany N. Williams. Brittany is an actress, writer, and nerd of many fandoms who calls the pop culture site Black Nerd Problems her rebel home base. She has performed across three continents, including a year spent as a principal vocalist at Hong Kong Disneyland. She's currently working on her first novel, That Self Same Metal, a YA historical fantasy set in William Shakespeare's London. This is Brittany's first story in the Star Wars Galaxy. Faith in an Old Friend follows the Millennium Collective, a trio of droid brains inside the Millennium Falcon's central computer, featuring our old friend L337 from Solo. L3, V5T, and ED4 help our heroes in unexpected ways as they find Lando on Bespin and then escape at the end of Empire to go find Han. So, overall reactions to Faith in an Old Friend. Jackson, go ahead and go first on this one. I really loved this story. This was 
probably my favorite one out of the eight that we're going to talk about today and one of my favorite ones in the entire book. I love when Star Wars, like, because the way it's told, it's not told linear. So I love when we get a story in the past and then we see something that connects it to Empire or like a, like a story that was told 40 years ago. And I feel like that's what happened with Solo and with this story. Because like, like, I think we've all talked about how L3's ending in Solo may not have been the best ending or the most ethical ending. But um, it is cool that we get further stories with her. And it's cool that we get to see how she fits in the Empire. And like, I just really enjoyed this book. And it really, I feel like it got to the core of the relationship between L3 and Lando. And it kind of also got to the core of L3, like fulfilling her purpose more or less and like starting a rebellion and like freeing people, making the galaxy a better place. So it made the solo scene better in my opinion. And it also made Empire Strikes Back better because I will be thinking about this when I watch the Empire Strikes Back and, you know, just, just that little connective tissue there just really is one of the things that I love most about Star Wars. It was so cool to see the three of them, the three of the droid brains and the fact that L3 did fill that purpose and she gave them a sense of self. The other two droids that didn't weren't aware, they weren't self-aware before L3 got there. So she gets there, she basically gets these droid brains self-aware and then they team up and they just have the best chemistry throughout the story. Just the way they talk to each other is is just really fun. But yeah, the the part that really got me for sure was when Lando came in and you could feel it like the way it was written, you could feel it straight from solo where L3 was like, I wasn't ready for this at all to see Lando again. And then he sits in the cockpit and she tries communicating with him by showing him a map of Kessel, which was a really good touch. And then he gives the little two finger salute to her. And that moment, like gave me goosebumps reading this silly book, you know, about Star Wars. And I'm sitting there like, whoa, like this is really deep, you know, about a droid and a droid brain. And so it was just, it was just so good. Yeah. It really made me think that like, and it's one of those things where you have to like interpret it yourself where like these stories are not all like, like Lando didn't go into the, to like the Millennium Falcon and then like come out and say, I'm going to help the rebellion and we're just going to throw over the empire. Like that's not what happened, but you kind of like, especially like if you've read last shot, you kind of get a better idea of what Lando and L3's relationship is like and how L3 likes Lando because Lando respects her for like a droid and doesn't look past her as, you know, just being a droid or whatever. Like he cares about her and he cares about people like her or droids like her. Um, So that, and then what we see in like solo and then what we read here, it's kind of feels like he's connecting back to that, that part of himself that was like a better version of himself almost where like where he was with L3, L3 brought that out of him. And it it felt like, this is what I thought of, like it felt like it was Han's trench run moment where like, you know, Han is on the fence. He doesn't really believe in the rebellion, but then he kind of like sympathized with them. But then he like, in the end, he knows what's right and he ends up doing it. And then once he, you know, helps Luke blow up the Death Star, it's like, there's no turning back. And that was like him making the choice. Whereas like here, it's more subtle, but it felt to me like this is where Lando's like, I care about these people and I should care about everybody else as well. And I'm this is a cause that I'm willing to get behind. This is a cause that L3 would get behind, you know, so this is definitely something that I should do. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I got out of this. 
Yeah, I love, I really love how really a lot of these stories in this final eight were really about Lando and how he's just at the heart of him. You know, he's, he is like Han. He's just the good guy. He's, he's got it in him. You know, he just has to get it out. And actually that kind of leads in one of my favorite lines from this one was right at the end. And it's obviously it's from L3's perspective, but she says, because Lando might be a hedonistic self-serving scoundrel, but he always did the right thing in the end. That was the man she'd known and the man he still was even without her by his side to remind him. And that's who she'd put her faith in. That's hope. And I was like, man, that's such a good line right at the end to wrap up the story and really gives you that good sense of, you know, obviously Lando just has it in him. He doesn't necessarily need someone right next to him, but it certainly helped, you know, with that little that little moment in the cockpit and the Falcon in this one, for sure. For sure. It kind of also reminded me of, if you remember the story in the other, from a certain point of view, the first one uh, called like, I think it's called the, the um, Angle where Lando's in a bar and he sees like they're showing footage of the Death Star being blown up and he sees that it's like the Millennium Falcon coming in and he's like, Han, what are you doing? Like there has to be an angle to what you're doing. And it just kind of, it connects that they have a very similar trajectory and that like at that moment, Lando's like, there's no way Han's doing this because he's a good person. There has to be something else he's getting out of it. And then he's like, well, maybe he is just a good person. Am I just a good person? And that kind of just leads into this. So I really enjoyed that that connectivity between both of these. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really I'm glad you brought brought up last shot too because if if anyone out there listening hasn't read that, that's that's one of my favorite new canon novels, really one of my favorite books. It's just it's such a good look at at their relationships and it's hilarious too. It's probably the funniest Star Wars book in my opinion as well. But yeah, yeah. glad you brought that you up. Do, um, you do not want to get me started on Last Shot. It's my absolute favorite. Yeah. And I I feel like it's like a book that people either love or hate. So if I every time I like post about it, people are like, I don't know. I don't think that book was that good. And I'm like, it was the best. <laughs> like I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Like so anyway, yeah. that's we won't, we'll talk yep. about that, that another day. Yeah, for sure. No, that's good. That's definitely good to know because, yeah, it's one of my favorites as well. So on a scale of one to 10, how will this make you view Empire differently or how much might you think of it when watching? Uh, this is a 10. So not being not with like hyperbole or anything, but I will think about this every single time I watch Empire. So it's one of the stories in there, like the disturbance, the story with the Emperor, like that one's a 10. Like I'm going to think about that every time, like this one. One of those stories that I think changes the way I view the Empire Empire Strikes Back in a great way. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I, I got it as a 10 as well. I, I don't think there's any way I'm not going to think about this story. And I think it's really going to make me think um, every time I watch Solo, too, for sure now, just getting this little story of L3 and where she ended up and how she, you know, how she's doing and everything. It's it's And it's interesting to think of where she's at in the sequel trilogy too because it's not like she left the millennium falcon you know so she's she's seen it all so yeah i i totally agree with you on that a certain point of view do on batu by rob hart rob hart is the author of several novels short stories and nonfiction works and this is the first time writing for star wars his novel the warehouse sold in more than 20 languages and was optioned for a film by ron howard that's cool. What a solo cl- connection there. So yeah, um, do on Batu. So that's basically it's the it's a Wilro Hood story. So it's the story about what Wilro Hood does in his life, which is a pretty boring life, and will and he wants a more exciting life. So he goes and 
joins up with a bounty hunter <laughs> to deliver the basically the ice cream maker, the Cantona of whatever. And in it, he, you know, gets into some trouble and he decides to leave the Cantona and just that he was supposed to deliver to deliver to Batu and tries to run away and make a better life for himself. Yeah, this one was was I, I was just so happy to get Will Hood because he it's it's one of the more it's one of the funniest things ever like out of the original trilogy to come out of is just this dude running with an ice cream maker and now you know there's been stories in the past um and legends whatever about Will Hood but to get this like from his perspective was was just. I don't know. It made me happy that we got it in the first place. And the fact that this story like really had everything, like it had love, it had betrayal, it had comedy, triumph. Like it, it was such a perfect like Star Wars story for Willow Hood, I thought. And yeah, the fact that he's working with this Rodian gangster, Faron, I think is his name, with this Camtono, he has to deliver it so he can, you know, he, he's already got the 10,000 credits, but if he delivers it safely, he gets another 40,000. And the fact that it's like that important makes it makes it that much better when you see him running through the hallway like clutching that as hard as he can so yeah i just i feel happy for him i feel like he got uh you know it, there's a couple lines in there at the beginning where it's like you know he he longed for another life it was such a such a star wars story <laughs> it's like luke skywalker looking at the twin sons it's like willow hood is sitting there like wanting to do more with his life and then at the very end like he makes that leap you know <laughs> and he he takes off and he's like let's do this and he's with uh with this girl that he's obviously got a crush on and yeah it's just that it was it was really fun to me yeah it was it was one of those ones where i was like i knew there was going to be a willow hood story and i you know that was like, as soon as the book got announced, I was like, oh yeah, someone's going to write this elaborate backstory for Will Rowe Hood. And like, <laughs> when I, when I read it, like, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was like, huh, really? Is that what he's up to? <laughs> like, is, is that why he's running? Like, that's kind of, that's not what I, like, that's never what I thought. And like, I don't know what I thought, but like, I didn't really have like a, my own backstory in, in like my head for him, but it just wasn't what I was expecting. But one of the things that I do love about this story and kind of with what we get in some of the other stories in cloud city is there's like a very, it's like a weird class system in cloud city where you have like a bunch of really like elite people. And then you have a bunch of ugnots like little pig guys <laughs> who are doing grunt work. Yeah. So it's just like, it's a really wide social spectrum. And we kind of see like, you know, Wilro hood, he wants a better life because his life is kind of, boring like it's just like a boring nine to five job so he kind of is like i don't make much money like i want to do something exciting so it's like kind of an interesting class struggle type story so i don't i don't know if it was the best at kind of defining the class struggle and kind of like making me think any differently about class and anything like that but it's it was kind of an interesting little wrinkle that was woven in there throughout the story so I kind of like I kind of enjoy that. It made me think a little bit. I don't know if it was the best executed, but but I do have a question for you. What do you think was in the Cantona? Because we don't find out what's in the Cantona. Yeah, that that's a really good question. It's obviously it's something that breaks. So at first when I was reading it, like I was kind of hoping it was um, coaxium. Like I, th I thought that'd be kind of fun um, or Beskar. 
you know, just because we've seen Beskar right. in it. But then when it fell as they were like struggling and then it, they heard something like break inside it, I was like, well, that kind of takes out both of those things. So I'm not, I, I, I don't know, but do you have, do you have something better in mind? Cause those were two, my, those were my two like things in my head as I was reading, but I think those two are out. I think it's the gold skull from the beginning of Indiana Jones, like in like the very beginning, it's like the little gold, gold skull that like, Indy has to move off of the temple rock thing. I think it's that, but inside of that, it's George Lucas's original ideas for episode seven, eight, and nine. So that's why it's so valuable because it's like, oh, it's gold, which broke. But then, you know, now whoever opened it, they'll be like, oh, what is this? Episode seven by George Lucas. (laughs) I love that. It uh, also, when I was reading this, like, I really wanted you know, since he was going to Batu, I was like, oh, it'd be so cool if Willow Hood showed up like in Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> and if he ever does, like I'm definitely going to be looking for him so I can get those uh, story treatments from George for 789 because I'm very, <laughs> very interested in reading those in depth. So yeah, it's a really good call. I like the I like the Indiana Jones uh, tie-in too. It was good. It's all connected. <laughs> it is. It is. You're right. Um, so on a scale of one to 10, how do you rate this one? Um, how do I rate it? Um, it depends on is like seven, like a C or is like five, like a C. <laughs> I think, I think five's like probably more of a C. Okay. Yeah. Then I'd probably go like five and a half, six. So like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough. Cause it's like, Will Rowe Hood, we all know Will Rowe Hood. So we've known him for 40 years. Whereas like some of the other background characters, like a random stormtrooper, it's like, Oh, you have no expectations. So maybe I'm kind of thrown off by that, but I was just kind of like, eh, is that what he's doing? So I liked it. I enjoyed it. It was a lot more fun than I thought it was in the first, like two or three pages. I was like, what's going on here. But then it ended up becoming a great story at the end, but I'd still probably go like six. So what about you? Yeah. Yeah, I had it I had it as a seven just because yeah, it the story itself, like it doesn't have really anything to do with, with our main story, but I always every time I watch Empire, I always look for Willow Hood and I'm I'm just like the Leo meme of, you know, pointing at the screen whenever I see him. <laughs> yeah. So uh that's that's why I gave it a little bit higher than a normal background character and it it always makes me think of the running of the willow hoods at star wars celebration and i hope to one day see that in person because that is the funniest thing so what i told you was true from a certain point of view next up is into the clouds by karen strong so karen is the author of the critically acclaimed middle grade novel just south of home her short fiction appears in a phoenix first must burn and her book, Eden's Everdark, is due out in 2022. This is her first time writing in Star Wars. So this story follows Jalen, a wealthy heiress on Cloud City who longs to be someone else because she can't find her sense of self because of her upbringing. As she looks to find information about Princess Leia and what she could be doing on Bespin, she runs into her father's pilot, Dresh, at a casino. As the evacuation begins, she makes a choice to leave with Dresh to seemingly start her new life with him. So what were your overall reactions for this one? The first time I read it, I didn't really connect with it that well, because like, when you first read it, it's very easy to just be like, oh, this is just another like Han and Leia story, but it's not Han and it's not Leia. And it's kind of predictable. So I was just kind of like, eh, I don't really like it. But then like the second time reading it, I kind of, I got a lot more out of it the second time I read it. So I kind of actually like, it's not one of my favorite ones in this book, but I, I did really enjoy it. 
like one of the things I liked about it is that it kind of like Jalen was almost, I'm not sure how to properly say this, but kind of like us in a way where she's like wanting to know more about the stories about Leia and wanting to like experience the star Wars. And like, I've heard the stories, but like, what does that mean for me? And she's, she's, she was born into a very good life as like an heiress to a baron of Tabana gas on cloud city, which sounds like a good life, but it's not really the life she chose. So she's kind of trying to figure out what she's going to be. So it's like a coming, it's like her, she's coming of age and she's learning about Leia and what she's doing and stuff like that. So looking at it from that lens, it felt very meta and I enjoyed it much more looking at it like that. So like in like in Star Wars, we don't, really get a lot of stuff from Leia's perspective, especially in the original trilogy. Like Leia's always there. Leia always has her mind made up. And here it's like, is this kind of almost giving us a little bit more insight to Leia, who was also born into prestige, but then she had to make her own decisions and how we see here that like she, like Jalen ends up making a decision to, you know, she goes off, you know, with the pilot Dresh. And it seems like she's going to start with the rebellion because she doesn't want to be on the side of like, she doesn't want to help out the empire. So it just kind of felt like I got kind of a little bit better appreciation for Leia and the choices that she made. And I really, I really like the idea of this is what it's like to apply the stories that you hear into your own life. Like it's one thing to know the stories, but it's another thing to like, all right, now it's your turn. What are you going to do? Are you going to, you know, join the rebellion or are you going to, just go along with everything else. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. It was, um, I did have to read it a couple times because it, it has a couple different like genres in it. And it, I didn't, at first I wasn't ready for it to be like a rom- romance novel at the end, you know, like the last like quarter of the story was like super romance, like, um, between her and Dresh, which was great. And I really kind of the the same thing that you just talked about with, you know, the relationship with Leia there. And the, my favorite moment of this one was like right after she sees Leia fighting for her life against the stormtroopers, like shooting and everything. Jalen picks up a blaster and she starts shooting at the stormtroopers because of what she just saw. And she like says that like the princess of Alderaan is out here, like fighting for what she believes in. Like, what am I doing? Mm -hmm. You know? And it's like that moment was just really the way that it built up to it. But yeah, I did have to read it a couple of times because the first time I was just like, this is a weird, you know, it's weird. She's trying on a dress. Like she's a, a baron. Like, what does this have to do with anything? But then that second time I was, I was the same way where I was like, Oh, okay. Like I, I get it now. And I think that's the, I think that's a good part of this book really is that, you know, with the short story format, like it's easy to go back and like catch things. And it's like quick to do that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sit down and read the entire thing again, but yeah, it was good. It, you know, and it, she, she got her seemingly happy ending and it did leave it open where it was like, huh, I wonder if she'll show up again somewhere just randomly or maybe she is a character that maybe we've seen in return of the jedi or something that we just don't know about because yeah it seemed like they were they were ready to fight with the rebellion for sure definitely agree so on a scale of one to ten what do you what's your what's your ranking so i gave this one low like probably like a two or a three just because um yeah we don't really see this character at all um it doesn't super tie in with the actual movie but the reason all i won't give it a one is because um i did think it was really cool that she bought 
the same dress just in a different in a different color as Leia just did because she went to like that real fancy shop and like that even kind of filled something in where it was like where'd Leia get this dress you know this really nice dress so it kind of filled that in a little bit and the fact that she you know wanted that same dress that Leia had just got and she had the money to do it where she's like yeah of course I'm gonna do that so that's that's why I gave it a two or a three how about how about you on this one um so if we're like ranking it on like how memorable it is like when we watch empire strikes back i'll probably when i see leia in the dress i'll probably be like oh yeah i'll maybe think of her for like a second so maybe from that standpoint like a three or a four but it's one of those like the things that i love about this book is that like it's good like they're good stories set in that time period it doesn't necessarily have to tie back into the movie so like i think it's a good story but i don't it's not going to change the way I watch Empire Strikes Back that much. Yep, 100%. A certain point of view? The Witness by Adam Christopher. This is Adam Christopher's third story in Star in the Star Wars galaxy after writing End of Watch in the first From a Certain Point of View book and the comic Tales from Wild Space Alone in, in the Dark. He is also writing the upcoming Mandalorian novel, which is due out this fall. Hopefully it comes out this fall because I think it was pushed back. So hopefully it doesn't get pushed back again because we need more Mando content. Um, <laughs> this story. So the whole premise of this story is it's a runaway stormtrooper who's like running away from the Empire. But sh- she runs into the famous Luke and Vader duel. So that's the whole premise of the story. And she eventually leaves and gets out of the empire to start her own new life. But that's basically the whole premise of the story. So what did you think of this one? So this one was pretty good. I I liked the contrast of, and I felt like we got this a little bit differently earlier in this book with some of the, the empire workers or uh, officers who you kind of were supposed to feel a little um, sympathetic for. But yeah, this one was different where she was like, she had enough, she was done and she had been thinking about leaving the empire. And like, we get to, we get to witness that exact moment where she's like, that's it. And the fact that it was when Han and Leia had their, I love you. I know moment. I thought that was really cool. The the one thing, honestly, like the one thing I can't stop thinking about is that her friend, who was another stormtrooper, Tig, was the one that was knocked off the edge by Chewie in Empire, like right before they put Han in as Chewie's like really upset. And Tig survived. I always, in my mind, I always thought like Tig fell like hundreds and hundreds of feet down and like fell to their death but this one it's like no it was a pretty decent size fall but it wasn't that bad you know it kind of makes chewy a little bit better i get or not better but it 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 makes chewy like you know he didn't kill someone right there that's so i thought that was, that's funny because i've never i've always thought it was like getting pushed off of like a stage so it's like three feet down so it's just it's just funny how how sometimes you can like it's not really shown in the movie. So I guess it's like open for interpretation. Um, I do know yeah. in like Star Wars Battlefront, there's a level that has like the the carbonite freezing, like in the 2015 Battlefront. And it's like two feet up, two feet down. So oh, it wow. is it is just like that in the um, video game. But yeah, that is that is yeah. that is really funny because I would have never thought in a million years that it was like that far down. But I guess that would. You know, that makes more sense why yeah. Vader's like, you don't need to shoot these people. 
Right. Yeah. No, for sure. It's like, no, like Boba Fett, like chill, like just knock the stormtrooper like two feet down. So yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, I, d- I did really like, by the time I got to the end of the story, I really liked the title because I, this was a really long story and it, and it really took a long time to get where it was going. And I didn't, at first I was like the witness, like what, why is it called the witness? And yet it is a story about her witnessing Luke and Vader's duel, which that's the obvious reason, you know, why it's called this, but it felt like a very Mandalorian title to me too, where it's like, you could see that at the beginning where it's like the heiress, the, you know, the sin or whatever it is. And then when it finally got to that point and it kind of clicked, I, I liked that moment. And I really, I like the end where, you know, she's, she's escaped pretty much and she's, she's almost out of there. And then she goes to take the shot on Vader at the end where she's like, screw it. Like I'm doing this. I'm, I'm leaving the empire. I might as well like go out in a blaze of glory goes to shoot Vader and the gun that was jammed earlier is still jammed. So she can't take the shot. But the fact that she was there in her mind, I thought that was cool. So, but yeah, it was, it was a very long story. Kind of took a long time to get there, but yeah, by the end I was, I was, I was pretty satisfied with that one. Yeah. I, I like enjoyed it, but then I didn't enjoy it. So <laughs> Let me tell you what I what I liked about it is I liked the stormtrooper story. So if you read the first from a certain point of view, there's like 900 stories about like stormtroopers and like imperial officers to like, oh, I'm in the empire. I love the empire. And then it's like, oh, we're t- we like tortured Leia. I'm going to leave the empire. I'm joining the rebellion. And it's like, like the first time you read it, you're like, oh, cool. That's like, that makes sense. I do the same thing. And then like by like the fifth time, you're yeah. like, all right, this is really old. <laughs> so yeah. I enjoyed that this felt very different where like I felt the person Dina, like our um, protagonist was really, I thought she was compelling because she was like, she didn't know what she wanted to do. And that felt very relatable where it's like, yeah, the empire, like the empire sucks, but like, I don't know what I really want to do. I just know that I need to get out of it. And that kind of felt like relatable. Like if I was in the empire or whatever, like that's kind of probably how I would feel. So it it felt relatable in a way. And I really enjoyed the characterization we got of all of the stormtrooper characters, like all the stormtroopers in her squadron. So I felt that was where the story excelled. And I thought her like trying to leave and the plot of her like leaving and the choices in the end that she made, I thought those were all very good. What I didn't like is when we when they first announced this book, they gave a little synopsis of every single story. And it was like a stormtrooper witnesses the fight between Luke and Vader. And it's like, oh, wow, that's going to be like the coolest thing ever because we're going to get like a new perspective on this. And it felt like a set piece that like they pitched a story on the set piece and then it was kind of like well I actually got a good story but it doesn't really fit with the set piece so it just if to me I didn't I didn't feel like I learned anything more about Dina as a character because she witnessed the fight and I didn't learn anything more about the Luke and Vader fight so it just kind of felt like it was just there so that's kind of what I didn't really like and there was no like emotional pen there was no attention because you know that like in that in that moment vader only cares about luke and luke only cares about vader so it's like they don't care even if they saw her they wouldn't care they're just it just was kind of lacking in that moment because we didn't that's kind of how i felt so hopefully if you felt differently that's great for you but that's just kind of how i felt so 
I liked it, yeah. but I didn't like it at the same time. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. I think um, in a lot of these stories, we do get something that fills in for like the main story that's going on. We get a little bit of a look at Lando's character or we get this and this one, it was like kind of built up to, okay, we know where she's going in this crawl space. We know what she's going to see. And then it was like, it was us in the nineties and our VHS of the empire strikes back was cutting out here and there. It was skipping, you know, it was like, she didn't even get the full conversation. Would it maybe have been a little bit better if she heard the actual conversation and then she went to like tell someone and then got taken out or something maybe. But yeah, the fact that she's like watching this like big duel, like it's a big deal, but she doesn't even get the full effect, which is kind of a bummer. So it's uh, yeah, I, I, I totally get that on a scale of one to 10. How will you view empire differently or how much might you think of it when watching? Hopefully a zero because I don't, I don't want to think about, her running around in the middle of the duel. And I don't think I will because I'm Anakin's my favorite character. So I'm very focused on Anakin. I'm like, what is he thinking in this moment? So I'm not going to be thinking about her, Yeah, but um, <laughs> I like this. Like I like the story. So like, I wouldn't give the story a zero, but when I'm watching the movie, I'm not thinking about it at all. Hopefully. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, unless you're like, unless your internet goes out, if you're streaming in, it like skips around at that part, then be like, oh, this is what oh, Dino was seeing. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. When Disney Plus, yeah. When, I, when I stopped paying my Disney Plus subscription. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was very low too. I, I gave it like probably a two and only because like the reason I didn't give it like a zero or one was because of Tig. I'm going to think of Tig every time Chewie knocks Tig. And maybe I'm alone. I, I'm going to ask some other people, like, what is your thoughts? Because I, I don't know if it was just from the very first time I saw it when I was super young or whenever it was. Maybe I just had it in my head that Chewie knocked this person. And they were on this big platform. But it makes sense that it was a very short drop. So I'll, I'll think of I'll think. Of I'll that. think. OK, so I'll think of I'll think of Tig and I'll think of like the the fanatical stormtrooper FS four five one because he's the one who tortures Han. So I'll think about him and I'll think about Tig, but I won't actually think about the main character. And I like the main character, but I won't I won't think about the main character during the duel. So it's just it's just funny how that how that works. Yeah, that's your ultimate uh, from a certain point of view, right there. Is is how we're, we're viewing these stories in general and how we're how we're looking at them. Yeah. So there it is. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. Our next story is The Man Who Built Cloud City by Alexander Freed. Alexander is a veteran of the Star Wars writing community, penning several comics, novels, and short stories. He wrote Contingency in the first From a Certain Point of View book, the Rogue One novelization, and most recently, the Alphabet Squadron series, with Victory's Price releasing in two weeks on March 2nd. This is the story of, in quotes, King Yathros Condorius I, a.k.a. the man who thinks he built Cloud City. He is really a vagrant roaming the city, declaring outlandish comments like that Lando is his regent, who he let run the city. Yathros turns on Lando after see, after he sees him with Vader and says that he is going to take him down and save the city. What really happens is that Lando, who cares about everyone, sends one of his guards, Miz, to help Yathros safely escape the clutches of the Empire. So this was an extremely interesting story that I did have to read a couple times. What were your overall reactions for this one? Um, The first time I read it, I was confused as to what the author was trying to say. And I do really enjoy Alexander Freed. So 
like I knew that there has to be something there. So I listened to an interview that he gave about this and I learned that his inspiration for this character is Emperor Norton, which was a real person, I guess, according to, you know, google.com. So if you're ready for a <laughs> quick history lesson, I'm going to I'm going to tell you all about this Emperor Norton guy. So I'm ready. So basically Freed wanted to put Emperor Norton into Star Wars more more or less. So Emperor Norton lived in San Francisco from 1850 to the to 1880. He was raised in South Africa and both of his parents died when he was like a teenager or something like that. So he moved to San Francisco on his own to run a he was like a business person who sold rice and I guess. <laughs> but anyways, <laughs> he was he was selling rice, but then like China companies moved in and sold rice for like half the price. So he ended up going completely under and lost all of his money, like all, lost all of his loans and everything. So he became poor and living in a different country and didn't have his parents like anymore in his life. So he kind of, he well, this is what he did. So he declared himself emperor of the US at that point. So, and he kind of just like took up shop on this like street corner and he just kind of lived there for 30 years and he as emperor of the United States. So everybody in San Francisco knew about him. Like they knew, oh yeah, that's Emperor Norton. And they basically treated him like uh, Emperor Yorthros. I don't know how to say that guy's name. Your King Yorthros. They basically treated him like him. So like everybody knew him like people liked him or like they thought he was like an interesting sideshow. So it's really interesting. So he like declared himself yeah. emperor. He had, he did, he had like proclamations where he would like, at one point he made a proclamation that, that his army should overthrow Congress because he didn't like what they were doing. And then he also said that we should abolish the Republican and Democrat party because there's too much fighting between them. This was like hundred and, 50 years ago. <laughs> so I wonder what he would think now. But yeah, like he yeah. did stuff like that. He had his own currency that like people just kind of played along with. Like he would always eat at certain places and he would use his own currency or they'd like let him eat. And he had two dogs that were always with him. Kind of reminded me of the um, person, the chancellor in the High Republic because she always has like two giant. Mm -hmm. Lions things. Anyway, yeah. for some reason, that reminded me of that. Sure, it's not. I'm sure it's not related, but it reminded me of that. Um, he also like he wrote letters to Queen Victoria in England, talking to like trying to get her to recognize him as like Emperor of the United States, and obviously she never wrote back. But the King of Hawaii got fed up with like the United States at at one point, and he said he's only going to recognize Emperor Norton as. Um, the rightful ruler of the U S. So I guess that's, I guess that's one win for him. Yeah. <laughs> so um, now it's kind of like, he was kind of like a pop culture ish figure more or less in like the 1800s. So like Mark Twain included characters inspired by him in his books, which was like, you know, that was like the thing back then. So if you like look throughout literature history, there's a lot of like fiction about this character, like about a character inspired by this Emperor Norton. And now that we know more about mental illness and stuff, like many believe he did this to cope with his depression or in other mental illnesses that he could have possibly had, which makes sense if you kind of think about what, what happened in his life with 
losing all of his money and with his parents moving to another country. So it's just like, it's just really interesting. And then with that in mind, I read the story again and the story became a lot more interesting because instead of like a crazy person who Lando's just like trying to ignore, but doesn't ignore because he's a nice person, you kind of get like a better idea of like, okay, this is a guy who may have been something at one point in time, but then like he doesn't know how to like go forward in his life. So he creates his own reality. So I thought it was really like looking at it through that lens, the story became much more interesting and I got more out of it. I'm really glad you looked that up because that is, I'm going to have to kind of read about that and then go back and read it because, and that's, and, and I've said it before, but that's really why I love the format of from, from a certain point of view is that authors can play around with different, you know, concepts and play off of different, you know, things in history or anything like that, that they can add into the Star Wars universe. And yeah, it, it didn't take me long in this story to figure out that, you know, cause it, it starts off, it gives his name, like he's King Yathros, uh, whatever. And I'm like, Oh, that's kind of weird, but okay, let's see where this is going. But it was like two paragraphs in where I was like, okay, this guy is clearly not a King. You right. know, it's like, it's kind of like, uh, the Kylo Ren undercover boss sketch mm-hmm. where he he's like, I have an announcement <laughs> to make, you know, he's like, I'm Kylo like Ren. Yeah, you're, you're Kylo, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're Kylo Ren. We know, we know. And um, so, so I, I figured it out quick. And then by the end of it, I did, I felt bad for this person because I was like, clearly like something is up. And, and again, it gives you another look at Lando on just like, he's just a genuinely nice person and good person that he sent one of his guards because he knew that this guy would get himself in trouble. He would say the wrong thing. He would cross the wrong stormtrooper or whatever. And he sent one of his, his guards to go basically protect him and get him out of there. It was just, you know, that that's where I really loved it. And at one point he says, yeah, King Yathro says they need air whales to come in and help him or whatever. And, to Miz, the guard who's there to help him, he's probably thinking like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm on this assignment. I have to go like do this for Lando. But we know of the Pergils in, from Rebels where it's like he was legitimately like, yeah, we should do this thing and like call these these air whales. And all I could think of was the Pergils. So what so what you're saying is the Mandalorian um, when Ahsoka, <laughs> I forget, Morgan Ellsworth or whatever her name was like yeah, where's Thrawn yeah. she's like you got to go to Cloud City and you got to talk to King Yathros he knows yeah. <laughs> he knows about the Purgles he yeah. knows where he knows where Ezra and Thrawn are exactly he'll he'll be able to call them yeah wow. that's so, that's exactly yeah. but <laughs> well they pulled they pulled deeper things from Star Wars before <laughs> it's very true it's very it takes all it takes is one line like i mean that's that's how we kind of got a lot of l3 was that one line from c3po you know or it's like yeah she, this ship has the most peculiar dialect and then we see that she ends up in there so yes sometimes that's all it takes so we'll see hopefully we see king yathros and and, and we see him get the help that he needs and have a happy ending too um which at the end of this story i did feel you know that it was like ms 
was like, yeah, man, like, let's do this. Like, I'm going to help you out. Like we're in this together. And which was, which was kind of cool. So yeah, it was, it was a really fun concept and I'm really glad you researched that. Cause that makes a lot more sense too. And I'm, I'm definitely going to have to check that out again. Yeah. I think like the first time I was like, like, obviously this man is not mentally stable. And then it's like, well, what is the author trying to say about mental illness? So that's kind of like, that was my first thought. And then I couldn't really like pinpoint what he was trying to say. And then like, now that I got the backstory, of this character, then it kind of all makes much more sense now. So I, if I was do if, if I was going to rate it, probably not going to think about it a whole lot when I'm watching empire strikes back. Maybe, maybe when I see Lando in that scene where, he, where he's talked, where he's walking with Vader and Boba Fett, that King Yathros is not too far away. So maybe I'll think about him a little bit then, but probably like a five or so, but I really enjoyed the story. So, um, like, it's one of it's again one of those things where I enjoyed the story, but I'm not really going to think about it too much. Yep, I'm I'm right there with you. Same. I I, I surely won't think of King Yathros, but yeah, maybe when he pops up in um in Ahsoka, I'll definitely be thinking about him a lot. So. You um heard it here first. Scoops. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a certain point of view. All right, the backup plan by Ann Tool. Antool is a creative writer whose credits include games, animation, live action, comics, and short fiction. She currently w- writes the, the Horizon Zero Dawn comic for Titan. Her other recent credits include Netflix anime series Cannon Busters and the Underwater's uh, science, scientific drama Beyond Blue. This is her first time writing for Star Wars. And this one is about Tal Viridian, who is a Cloud City resident who works closely with Lando, even though we do not see that much in this story, who comes up with a plan to save some of the Cloud City miners from being sold, basically, by the Empire to the Mining Guild, which is kind of an off-world guild that has workers throughout the galaxy. So this was another story that I had to read a couple times times to get a feel for it because there was a lot going on here there was the cloud city miners the mining guild the empire and then tal and her friends and so it was a story for me that as i read it a couple times and as it went on um it it got better i think that it took me a while to work through those all those factions and like what was going on i did really like the end because tal is basically she's trying to help and trying to help cloud city the best that she can so she comes up with a couple different plans her and her friends dress up as mining guild folks uh they they basically beat up these mining guild people and take their uniforms. And then they start stuff with the empire. So the empire gets mad at the mining guild. That way there's, they're kind of fighting. So hopefully the empire won't give them the miners that they've rounded up. But then at the very end, I liked how it wrapped up because Ela, who works for the empire is secretly working with Tal, which was kind of a cool twist. And they are basically lovers also, which um, the ending of the story kind of got a little NSFW where it was like, oh, okay, we're going there with this. Or I was just like, I didn't didn't see that coming at all at the end. But yeah, it was a, it was an interesting story. I didn't think that Ela, who uh, worked for the Empire, was going to help Tal because when they have their confrontation, um, she catch 
catches Tal and her friends and basically turns them in. And there's like, she, she's get, just got a scorn on her face. Like, I'm not going to help you. And then in the end, the way they, they get out of it is Tal is on a ship with all the miners and Ela basically has to press a button to blow up the entire ship. But at the same time, Tal throws out some Tabana gas canisters, which I love how much Tabana gas we're getting. And it looks like the ship explodes. The ship is okay. Tal and her friends and all the miners okay. And Ela is there to have a hollow chat with with uh, Tal at the end. So yeah, it was it's an interesting story. Took me a couple times to get through it. Um, and it was it was confusing at the beginning. I think I have a good feel for all the different factions now. But yeah. That's that's kind of where I was on it. Yeah, it's probably it's it's not my favorite story in here. So if it is your favorite story, that's great. The great thing about this book is that if you don't like a story, there's probably another one in there that you like. So yeah, um, yeah. I just the main character. I just never really like. Sometimes when a character doesn't connect with you, it's very hard to get into the story. And like the character didn't connect with me, so it. It is what it is. So, yeah. And no, you're right, too. I mean, there's 40 stories in here. So there are going to be stories that people don't connect with. And I did kind of have a hard time figuring out the main character. I And maybe that was on purpose. You know, it's called the backup backup plan. So obviously this character is a little clumsy here and there. But at the same time, like kind of cool and kind of like has her stuff together. Um, very persuasive as well. But yeah, it was hard to hard to kind of connect with with that character for sure so I, I i don't disagree at all on a scale of one to ten i gave this a very low like a one most of this is off screen you don't really get any of this um it was kind of one of those offshoots of okay we know this person works with lando but we don't really see that yeah. much you know we see that lando has rubbed off on her maybe a little bit but yeah don't really doesn't have too much of a connection with the main story yeah same especially like, if you wanted a story, there are other stories about, like, what happens to Cloud City afterwards. So, like, the current Star Wars comic series by Charles Soule kind of goes into it a little bit. So, it's like, there is other stuff that comes out after Empire that I'll think about more. So, yeah, probably I'm I'm with you on this one. I'm not going to think about this one very much. Definitely. It was kind of a it was kind of a bookend to our Cloud City stories. And it was kind of that send off of, okay, we're we're done with Cloud City and now we're going to the very end of Empire. And I did really like um the through line of all the Cloud City stories of Lando's announcement. Cause it seemed like and, and I'd have to go back and really check, but it seemed like that announcement of him telling the city to clear and evacuate came up in almost every Cloud City story. And I thought that was a cool through line to kind of connect um, everything. But yeah, and I will say too, this, the current Star Wars run is very good. So definitely, definitely check that out. Uh, was there a, did Lando have an announcement? I think the only one I can think of that he didn't have an announcement was the the caterer one. Did Was there an announcement in that or... I can't remember and I should because I just talked about that one like two weeks ago and just um, reread it very recently. But yeah, I'm not not 100 percent sure. But yeah, I think that's um, I think that's yeah, the only one in... that doesn't because like the the Jackson one does. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And like all the other ones do. But yeah, I I do like the like I do like the word the world building on Cloud City. And this is definitely a good world building one because you kind of get a better idea of like how complicated 
you know, business can be, especially in a place like Cloud City, which seemed to be very much on their own at this, like before the Empire showed up, they were just kind of doing their own thing. So I do appreciate the the world building and you definitely do get a better idea of like the class system structure, which is kind of, which I think is another through line through all the books. I mean, through all the stories, like you get that with the Ugnots, like they, they're the Ugnots or the have-nots, you know? So it's like, yeah. you know, and you get a better idea of what life was like on Cloud City. So I do, like, I do appreciate it from that standpoint. So it's not like, it's not like the story is like not worth reading or like not worth your time or anything like that. But it's, it's not going to add a whole lot more that you didn't already get from the previous 47 million <laughs> Cloud City stories. Yeah, no, for sure. And um, yeah, the the Cloud Cities, I I always think of now just seeing that picture of Cloud City and what it looks like and just seeing the tears too. Where at first, like when you first, at least for me, when I used to watch Empire Strikes Back, it's just like, oh, that's just a big thing in the clouds and, you know, you don't think much about it. But now you know that there are levels just like any city, mm-hmm. you know, where there's different neighborhoods and stuff. So, yeah, it was that was definitely cool. So what I told you was true from a certain point of view. Let's move on to Right Hand Man by Lydia Kang. So this is Lydia's first time writing for Star Wars. She is an author of young adult fiction, adult fiction, and nonfiction and poetry. She is also a practicing physician who has gained a reputation for helping fellow writers achieve medical accuracy in fiction, which comes in extremely handy for this story. So this is the story of 2-1-B, the medical droid who gives Luke his new hand at the end of Empire as he helps Luke Mend 21B offers some very important advice in a subtle yet poetic way. Jackson, what were your thoughts on this one? I really liked this book. This one, um, it, it almost feels unfair because, like, some of these ones, it's like Luke Skywalker's in it. Of course, I'm gonna like it. So, um, the story, like, the author did kind of have that advantage that, like, she gets to write lines for Luke Skywalker, and I believe this is the only. For our three main characters of like Han, Luke, and Leia, this is the only one that has additional dialogue, I believe, because this has like Luke has dialogue in this that's not in the movie, and I believe this is the only one that has anything like that. So it was cool from that standpoint, and I think there's a lot of things I like about this. I like we delve into Luke's character a little more and his like thought process in this time about like the rebellion and the war is still new to him. Like he's still a farm boy at heart and he's still that same, he has that same innocent spirit to him. But at this point, like this is like the worst moment in his life. So we see that innocence, but we see it. He, we see him losing that innocence because when we see him in return of the Jedi, he doesn't have that innocence that he had in the previous two movies. Cause you know what he, what he learned, what he's been through. And it was interesting kind of seeing that balance of like, He's still that person and he's still caring and he's still almost uncomfortable in a way, but he's kind of, he's, he's forced to transition because of everything that he's been through. So I really enjoyed Luke from that standpoint. And I really also enjoyed 2-1-B who kind of steals this story. You know, it is a story about 2-1-B. So I don't know if you can steal a story about yourself, but you know, when you're sharing it with Luke Skywalker, (laughs) I guess you can. So uh, 2-1-B is awesome. We see that like, it's that it, it it always anytime I get a droid story, I I have to think back to L three, which we've talked about at length already. But like two one B like knows that it like it knows that its purpose is just to help people physically. But what you get is like two one B kind of like 
the more experiences he gets, like in Star Wars, the droids, when they get more experiences, they get to develop their own personality. That's why, you know, Anakin never, you know, erased R2's memory and nobody else did. So that's why he has a really, he's very, you know, much his own character and stuff like that. And you kind of get the feeling that 2-1-B's his own character too, with all, everything that he's been through and stuff like that. So I really, really enjoyed, I really enjoyed this one. This is a must read. Yeah, no, I did too. Um, and before I forget, uh, Blast Points podcast just did an entire episode on 2-1-B last week, and it was really good. I th- The way that they really dug into 2-1-B was awesome. And yeah, this, this gave him... One of the things I've always loved about him is that the voice. It's like such a... Um, it's not really... It's robotic for sure, but it's it's more of a person and it's just like a really regular voice. And it was very easy for me reading this story, reading his lines in that voice, which is kind of funny to think about. But yeah, this is like Luke's turning point at this at this moment. And the fact that he's having this really deep conversation with this medical droid is really impressive. And Luke's going through a lot of self-doubt right now. And he's going through a little bit of self-hate, you know, where he's like, this is my fault. I shouldn't have done this. Like, I don't deserve a new hand. You know, it's like, dang, like if you think about it, yeah, Luke would be going through that. Like he just had that whole conversation with Yoda and Obi-Wan where he's like, no, I'm ready. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to save my friends. I don't care what you say. And then he gets there and obviously he gets his hand chopped off and he realizes Vader is his father and like goes through the worst moment, like you said, in his life. And yeah, the fact that like one of his first conversations afterwards is with 2-1-B is just so cool and so Star Wars and just so weird. And it really, I really got Last Jedi, Luke Yoda at the tree vibes too, where it was like, obviously it wasn't, Luke wasn't learning like this huge lesson that was going to propel him into this huge heroic act, you know, very soon after. But he, it is a little bit about failure. It is, you know, a little bit about learning about now that he knows Vader is his father. He was very inquisitive already about Vader. Like he's asking 2-1-B, do you know if Darth Vader is made up of cybernetics? And 2-1-B like, I'm not sure, but I believe that he's, you know, mostly cybernetics. And yeah, it was just that like 2-1-B was kind of guiding him down that like, don't go down that dark path. You know, like you deserve a hand. You deserve to be healed like everyone else. Like we all make mistakes. So yeah, it was, I don't know. It was very, and, and Luke even, Luke calls him out. He's like, wow, that's very poetic. And the whole thing, it was very poetic what he was saying. And I just, I love that we get that from, from 2-1-B in this story. Yeah, I do too. And I really like how Luke is like, if it was another person, I don't think he would have opened up to to him the same way. Like if, if Leia, like they have a good relationship, obviously, but if like Leia asks him what's wrong, I don't think Luke's probably not in this position where he's like, oh, well, we know this, that he's not in a position where he's like, oh yeah, Darth Vader's my father. This is really bad. Like he's not in that spot yet. He doesn't get to that spot for another, until, you know, Return of the Jedi. So it's really cool how we get like a natural way of looking into Luke's psyche and his mind, you know, like in his thought process at this point, because he is somebody who can't keep stuff bottled in. So he's going to tell somebody, but he's not going to tell a person because that, you know, so I, I really enjoyed that. And it gave me like a new perspective for the movie, the end of the movie and everything like that. So I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I agree. Um, and for this one, 
I gave this one a 10. 2-1-B is an icon, and I will think about this story every single time. It's going to be hard not to think about this one, I think, and just knowing that they did have this conversation for a little bit before. And listening to the Blast Points episode too, they make the joke that when Luke and Leia smile at the end of uh, Empire Strikes Back, it's because they see 2-1-B's reflection in the window as they're looking out amongst the stars. And I just, I, I think that's, that's my headcanon now. That's a thing too. It's a fact. You have to get the, you have to get the 4K Ultra HD, pause it and like blow up yeah. the screen and you yeah, can exactly. see it. But yeah, and now I'll be thinking about in Revenge of the Sith, why, why didn't Anakin just talk to 2-1-B? He could have just he could have yeah. just turned everything around there. He just had a nice conversation. Like, you know, I'm not really feeling myself. I just got cut in yeah. half by my best friend. You know, maybe I'm not cut out for yep. this life. You know, but, but yeah. again, so that's yeah. where we kind of see Luke makes the right choice where he's talking to 2-1-B, going through his feelings and trying to get to a better place, whereas Anakin is just being destructive to 2-1-B. So yeah. who's, just there, who's just there to help him? So just, you know, yeah. it's the ring theory. It's just, it all it all connects. It does. Yeah. hundred percent. Are you, are you, are you with me on a, on a very high oh, score yeah, on yeah. the one uh, to 10 yeah, scale yeah, on this I'll one? Be, I'll be thinking about that. And I'll be thinking about the first time, like the two one B given better advice, like two one B should have given him that advice the first, the first time. Like, you know what? I don't want to see you here all the time. You shouldn't, you, you know, you shouldn't be so reckless. If you would have said that, maybe he never even meets Vader. Could yeah. have changed the whole star Wars, star Wars saga as we, as we know it. So maybe, maybe two one B knew that, that, he had to give the advice later in the movie. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. A certain point of view. All right, the last one by is The Will's Strike Back by Tom Engelberger. Tom Engelberger is best known for his New York Times bestselling Origami Yoda series. His Star Wars work includes Return of the Jedi Beware of the Power of the Dark Side, which is a very good book. The Mighty The Mighty Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear. Bane's story in the Clone Wars, stories of light and dark, and the first Will story in the first from a certain point of view book. So this is basically the Wills, which are basically who is telling the Star Wars story. And this is them coming up with the crawl for The Empire Strikes Back. So it's one of those things that it's kind of funny because it's supposed it's it's supposed to be funny it's supposed to be like banter of like star wars fans like if you knew everything and you were trying to tell the story what would you say before the empire strikes back and they're kind of going back and forth and this is how they come up with the words in the crawl so it's very it's funny it's very on the nose um but it is kind of cool as well where it does kind of connect back to some deeper things about what george lucas was trying to do with this by making it kind of like a fairy tale and making it like we you kind of get that fairy tale vibe here that like this is something that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far far away like as it says in the beginning so it's it gives it that really storybook aspect so it's one of those things where it's like on the surface it's like oh yeah it's funny like it's whatever but then like when you think about it you're like okay that kind of gives you a better understanding of the whole thought process and genesis of this saga i always enjoy these for like what they are <laughs> For sure. It's um, I'm really glad we got that first one in the first from a certain point of view book. So it set it up to get one in all of them. And Tom Engelberger brings just a great perspective to this because he's got he's just got a great body of work of what he's done in Star Wars and even outside of Star Wars, because his Origami Yoda series like it's not Star Wars care. Like it's not in the Star Wars canon or anything. It's about some kids that, you know, one of them makes an Origami Yoda and the Yoda 
uh, they can't figure out if he's real or if he's not. And just a really interesting look. And yeah, it's really funny. It, it does. It reminds you of an angry fan dissecting every little piece of Star Wars. And yeah, I love that, you know, in the first Will story, we get them being like, are you going to talk about Chewbacca and Life Day and all that stuff? And we get that again in this one where he's like, I'm going to write about Chewie and and Lumpy and, and Life Day and everything. And, I, you know, we also get the Kirk and Spock reference when uh, they bring up the Starfleet. And that was just very real world um, for us, which which was really good. So, yeah, I, I, uh, these are it's just so fun to hear the the wills. What I like about this is that I like that it kind of gets back to like people who are really like into Star Wars, like us, obviously recording a Star Wars podcast and anybody yeah. who's listening to this, <laughs> you're also way into Star Wars yeah. because I don't know if regular people listen to Star Wars podcasts like we do. <laughs> so um, yeah. it's just it's just a nice reminder that like, this is supposed to be fun. Like this is an escapism. Like this is a way to learn about, to learn about other things, to really Star Wars should challenge you and Star Wars should make you think differently about the world. But it's also just a story and it's also just for fun. So it just, it, it brings that perfect balance. And I think, it, I think this story brings that into perspective really nicely. So I do, I do enjoy the world, the real world elements of this story, even though I I'm not somebody who enjoys like real world references in Star Wars, like if we got one. So anyways, I, I really enjoyed it for what it is. This one was hard to rate. I don't really have a rating for it because it's just such a different story. I, I mean, I guess a, right in the middle of five, you know, every, it is funny after I read the first one in the first from a certain point of view book, every time I watch the new hope and the crawl comes out, like I do think of that. I do think that like someone wrote this and it's the wills, you know, it's their journal. And so I do think about it. So maybe it's a 10, maybe sometimes it's one. I don't really know. It's hard to, hard to rate on this one. I think it, I think it depends on if you read the crawl, because I'm at a point where I don't read the crawl very often. Like it's usually like I turn, like usually turn it on on Disney plus and then I wait, you know, I hear the, the Fox music and then I watch the big bang and then I just kind of go and get like my soda or whatever. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. Depends on if I'm like reading it and I see Starfleet or whatever it says, I'll think about it then. Yeah. But I don't know if I'll think, I probably won't think about it otherwise. But I I do think about it. No, I don't, I don't really think about it for A New Hope because I always think about Rogue One. So maybe not. So it's, it's tough to, it's tough to, um, it's tough to rate. So sometimes a 10, sometimes a zero. No real in between. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. And the crawls are always interesting because I always, I find myself every once in a while, because I'm kind of, kind of the same way. You turn it on, you know, sometimes you're just looking at your phone or whatever, but they're interesting to go back and really read and like really be like, oh yeah, because there's certain arguments that you see on Twitter or wherever where people are complaining about something. And it's like, it literally says it in the crawl, what is happening in the story. Like you have to read this, the crawl and, and you forget that. But then you go back and you're like, oh yeah, that crawl does say that. That's really crazy that it says that in the crawl. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, like when, definitely like when Peter, that. like I think remember people got mad that like Darth Vader, like found out about Luke, not from the emperor. And it's like, well, it says in the crawl, he's looking for Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I think right. I think he put two and two together, like Luke Skywalker. Wait a minute. My name's Skywalker. No way. <laughs> so, yeah, it's like, yeah, I, I think he got it. But yeah, it is. That's so it true. is funny. <laughs> Definitely. Cool. Well, that wraps it up. 
thank you again. I really appreciate you coming on and, and wrapping up this uh, series with me. It was a lot of fun. Always fun to dig into these stories. And yeah, hopefully everybody out there that listened had a good time as well, because there was there was some gems in here for sure. And yeah, I mean, two on B and, and L3 and there's just... There's so many. I'm I'm so ready already for the Return of the Jedi one to see what they come up with because they're just there's always some just really really great ones that stand out. So great to great to have you on and and talk to you about these. Can you tell everybody where to find you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram. So that's where I talk about Star Wars most. It's Plo Koons. It, I'm at Plo Koons Book Club, and there I basically just talk about Star Wars books, Star Wars books, Star Wars comics. Um, I'll talk about the movies some, but generally I try to keep everything either. I try to draw stuff back to books or I do like recommending books and stuff like that. So if you're into star Wars books, if you're not into star Wars books, I don't tell any spoilers or anything so you can still follow me. So, um, yeah, I would appreciate it if you did. Yes. One of the, one of the best, um, follows on Instagram for sure. So glad we connected and love seeing your posts and the pictures to go along with all the insight below just just always great so yeah i really appreciate your time thanks again and you can find the show on twitter at force time pod you can find us on instagram at force time pod and you can leave us a five-star review on apple Podcasts. helps other people find the show and until next time may the force be with you 